Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me are the foremost authorities on the Houston Cougars and my old friends from the Scott Holman podcast, Sam Raz and Dustin Rensink. And it's great to have you guys back on the show. I want to get right into this because I thought UH flat out looked like the better team against Tech, but they just shot themselves in the foot over and over again, guys. Yeah, it was uh, it was tough. There were certainly moments when it felt like Houston was a better team, especially the way that the defensive line, Derek Parrish in particular, were playing much of that game. Um, you know, it felt like Tech's offense was a couple of a couple of big pass plays that they broke, one of which was frustratingly for the second and week in a row involved two U of H defensive backs running into each other and kind of tackling each other, leading to a, a long touchdown pass for the opposition. Um, but, you know, outside of a couple of, of long pass plays, yeah, it just felt like uh, – like Houston was a better team for much of the game. And, you know, and certainly, you know, it's, it's, it's very concerning that I think for the second week in a row, the offense came out and, and just could not finish a drive to save their life in the first half of the second game in a row. Um, and certainly U of H, you know, has, has themselves to blame for some other issues that, you know, the just absolutely foolish, foolish uh, roughing the punter uh, penalty that took, uh, you know, absolutely didn't affect the play at all, but took a set for the second week in a row, took a, a tank Dell punt return touchdown off the board, which was another, another repeat of last week. Last week, it was a, uh, just terrible call that uh, that took the uh, the punt return touchdown off the board. This time it was an obvious call for something that's dumb and you just can't do. Uh, just clobbering the punter uh, that took the uh, the TD off the board. So definitely plenty of frustrations, and you know, and definitely you know, I don't think U of H can can you know go saying that they 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 you know deserve to win because they they made too many mental mistakes. They you know as as Dana Holgerson put it today, they did too, too much dumb crap. Uh, that they did in that game, and they have themselves to blame for a lot of that. But it is frustrating because it's not a game where, you know, Tech was dominating in the line, just had you know in the in the on the lines, and just had a, a clearly better team than U of H. I thought U of H matched up with them well, and uh, you know I think if you run that game back a hundred times, I think U of H probably wins more than half the time. But you know you can't make those uh, those dumb mistakes, and uh, you know uh, Tech made them pay. So credit to them. Yeah, would co-sign everything Dustin said. The the thirty thousand foot result here is you know a three point loss where you were a three point underdog. Made it may not seem so bad on paper, but how you got from point A to point B on that three point loss is just unbelievably painful. If you're a Cougar fan, just so many chances to win that game that uh, slipped through the team's fingers, and obviously made something that may not have seemed like it would be you know a tough to take result a three point loss to a team you were fairly even matched with on the road made it made it a lot harder to take. Uh, obviously looking at the game in the rearview mirror. Yeah, it was, I mean, there's just so much to talk about with this one. And um, just a reminder also to our viewers on YouTube, make sure to subscribe and like and comment. Uh, really need your help kind of growing the show out. Uh, Sam and Dustin, the Cougs defense, great last season, but you had the fourth and 20 in overtime this week. Plus it's two weeks in a row where an opponent drove into field goal range in less than 38 seconds. I mean, what's going on with this defense late in games? Yeah, if I had the question that, I think uh, definitively, I think I would have a lot of friends right now uh, in that coaching office on Colin Boulevard. This is one of those times I kind of wish I was one of those analytics geeks because I'd really like to go look at the 2021 college football data and see how many teams the entirety of last season surrendered a game-tying drive with under 40 seconds left on the clock. And you've done it twice in the last two weeks and the season's been only two weeks has been just quite frustrating. And I think, I think the most general explanation for it is I feel like on those two drives, the defense tried to play differently. This is not a risk averse defense. Generally, this is a defense that thrives on an aggressive front a front that we saw on Saturday 
you know, have Derek Parrish, you know, have four sacks and put a lot of pressure on Texas Tech's quarterback, Donovan Smith. And you saw in week one, Frank Harris was able to escape a lot of that for UTSA. But I want to say U of H had some of the most pressures created by any defense in the entirety of college football in week one. And I feel like on both of those game ending drives, UH did a lot more dropping seven or eight and did a lot more, you know, risk of first defense, the kind of that classic prevent defense that probably has driven more than a few fans insane over the years. And I sort of in the most general sense, get why you don't want to look back on it. You know, let's say tech just breaks off to 75 yard touchdown reception. You don't want to look back on it and feel like, Oh, we didn't, we didn't do our best to keep the play in front of us. We didn't do our, our best to keep them from breaking off a big play when the only thing we can't give up is a big play. But and I think you've kind of seen generally this defense's, you know, I guess, weak point really get tested these first two weeks. That's what really concerned me going into the season about UTSA and Texas Tech is that they were two offenses really designed to go after what this Cougar defense was going to have the most work to do on in the early season, figuring out life without Pepe Williams and Marcus Jones, two guys who are playing on Sundays right now. And I think a lot of, a lot of programs programs much uh bluer blood than u of h would struggle to figure out life without those two but i think i think the most general answer to that is i feel like u of h has gotten risk averse in those situations when this isn't a defense that's going to be able to really drop seven or eight and do well i realize situationally you have to do that sometimes but you know i think you saw on the on the two drives that utsa and texas tech used to tie those games late and that fourth and 20 u of h really got risk averse only rushed three guys and and I think paid for it. And I certainly hope that, you know, with two weeks of this now in the books that the defensive brain trust over in the U of H staff is really looking at how they're going to handle those late game situations. I, I don't know if you'll be in this exact same situation, you know, three weeks in a row, but this won't be the last time. Hopefully this team has to hold a close lead late in the game. And I, I really hope that they've looked at what's not worked here these first two weeks and are going to do something different the next time that comes up. I, I really just, I think this has to be a defense that attacks at all times, even at times when maybe you wouldn't normally conventionally uh, want to attack. Yeah, oh man, I hope it's not three weeks now. If, if we're, you uh, <laughs> has a three point lead with like 40 seconds to go against Kansas, and we're kicking the ball off. I'm going to be splitting bullets, let me tell you. But no, I, I agree with what Sam said. I think it's probably a combination of the fact that. You know, I, th- I think the secondary is is definitely behind the uh, the defensive line and the linebackers in terms of you know the strength of the units on the defensive side for Houston, which is not necessarily a huge insult to the Cougar secondary. The Houston defensive line is fantastic, and the Houston linebacking group, you know, led by Donovan Mutant, I think is really strong as well. And they are replacing a couple of you know high draft pick NFL corners uh, from that secondary, so certainly I think there's some issues there. But yeah, I, I think and you know you'll you'll it'll be hard for you to ever get me to say a bad word about, uh, about Doug Belk and the Cougar, you know, defensive coaching staff, but as much as he's done a great job and as much as I don't doubt for a second that he is a, you know, future longtime successful head coach, like everyone seems to think he is, you know, I agree with Sam. I think he's going to be spending this, uh, you know, next couple of days. If he hasn't already been spending a lot of time thinking about what are we going to do in these, you know, traditional prevent defense type of situations, because, you know, there's, you know, it's hard when you can't as a, you know, college football fan usually see the all 22 footage but i saw someone had a screenshot on twitter today where it was the fourth and 20 and the guy had the ball five yards short of the 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 first down line and there was like six u of h defenders behind the first down line and it's like okay i appreciate you don't want to give up a touchdown there either but you like you can't be that badly like on your heels in a fourth and 20 situation that you're just giving up 21 yards to avoid giving up the touchdown that's just you know and you can't be 
you know, if you're up three with, uh, with 40 seconds to go, you can't just drop so far back into coverage and rush three that you are essentially just inviting them down, you know, Broadway to, uh, to, to, to come and set up a, a game time field goal. And I would, you know, at the risk of being lame enough to like blame the officials, I would point out one of the UTSA's completions when they got down the field, just blatant, blatant holding on, uh, on Derek Parrish, where he just got, you know, dragged down to the ground. And, you know, I thought on the fourth and 20, it looks like uh, the, the left or the right tackle for, uh, uh, for tech, I thought we got away with a pretty obvious hold there as well. So, I mean, I'm sure if, uh, you know, I, as a U of H fan, you'd like to think that uh, you throw flags in those situations and the UTSA game doesn't go to overtime and the tech game doesn't, you know, ends in the first overtime and U of H is 2-0 and at this point. But, you know, I think you also got to be aware in that situation, not very many referees want to throw a flag in overtime. Not very many ref- ref- referees want to throw a flag in the final 30 seconds of regulation, uh, you know, to uh, to kind of prevent the home team from making a comeback. So you got to be aware in that situation how the game is being called and uh, and adjust accordingly. And and you got to figure out regardless of whether you know the penalty gets called or not, you got to figure out a way to to get off the field on on fourth and 20. So like I said, you know, Doug Belk's an incredibly smart guy, incredible football mind. And, uh, you know, I just have a funny feeling that uh, in a similar situation going forward, we might see U of H uh, maybe mix things up a little bit. All right. That's the defense. So, Sam, what's wrong with the offense? Outside of the end of the UTSA game, it's been shaky. Coach sounds frustrated with the offensive line. It's kind of like having a car with a bad engine. If you have an offensive line that's shaky, it doesn't matter how good your quarterback is. It doesn't matter, you know, receivers, et cetera, et cetera. It's that offense is only going to go so far if you can't consistently open up holes in the run game. Although against a pretty good Texas tech defensive front, I thought at times they were actually able to give, uh, especially Brandon Campbell, some decent holes to run through. That was the most, I think sustained success we've seen from the running game, which is admittedly a low bar because you saw basically none of it against UTSA, but you saw some encouraging stuff there. I don't think Clayton tune was running for his life as much as he was against UTSA. So it's, it, it's damning with Frank praise, but that's what, kind of what we're dealing with this offensive line right now. But I think what's really bothered me has been, you know, play design. I, I don't think Clayton Toon played his best against Texas Tech. I would argue that might have been his worst game since Texas Tech last year, though I think played a good deal better than he did in the 2021 opener. I think that you really, if you're the Cougar offensive staff, you've got to look at, you know, some quicker developing pass plays. It felt like watching the Texas Tech offense and then watching the U of H offense it felt like one of these was offenses, U of H, was working really hard to not do very much. And one of them, Texas Tech, seemed to have a good idea how to give Donovan Smith, a young third-year sophomore quarterback, you know, makeable passes, rhythm passes. He definitely struggled in deep balls, and that's how I think U of H ended up with three interceptions. But they gave him a lot of stuff in the short and mid-range to get his confidence, to get the offense going, to get that three, four, five yards at a time that, ironically... We saw U of H just be masters of this 11, 12 years ago when, you know, Dana Holgerson and Cliff Kingsbury were running the offense under Kevin Sumlin. And it just feels like now, it feels like every time U of H tries to pass the ball, I think I texted you, Dustin, something this during the game. It feels like we're trying to run this, this very complex, a lot of, you know, slow developing pass plays. And just, it doesn't feel like the offense right now in the most general sense is giving Clayton Tune, you know, easy throws, rhythm throws, confidence throws, the you know ability to get into a game. It's just you know, it's fourth and three, and we're you know dialing up this you know difficult uh, back shoulder fade to Tank Dell, and if it works, great. But I don't know, man. It's fourth and three. Maybe give the guy something a bit better to work with. But I think it's a lot of things. It's 
the inability to sustain a run game outside of Brandon Campbell at times uh, in this one. It's an inability to get guys not named Tank Dell involved in the offense. And that's something we heard a lot in the offseason. And I'm not ready to say it was completely not true yet. You're you're dealing with a lot of guys who are fairly young in their careers, but we heard a lot in the offseason that, you know, the problems U of H had the prior couple seasons with receivers not named Tank Dell really struggling to get involved in the offense. You know, that's a gonna be a thing of the past. You have Matthew Golden, you know, consensus four star out of Klein Kane, a couple of uh young transfers who are, you know, good recruits out of high school who are really exciting. And you just haven't really been able to see the offense so far other than that nice touchdown in overtime on the tunnel screen to Matthew Golden to get those guys involved in the offense. So it's been, it's been a lot of things not working well at the start. It's not any one thing, but I do feel like it behooves the staff to look at these first two weeks and look at what they can do to, you know, make, make Clayton Toon's life a little easier in the past game. And also, you know, make the offensive line's life a little easier and not have these slow developing pass plays that maybe, you know, offensive line that's entirely non-seniors might struggle to deal with. But yeah, kind of like uh kind of like I said at the start of your question about the defense, if I had the sixty-four thousand dollar uh answer to what's ailing this UH offense, I think I'd be a pretty popular guy on Cullen Boulevard right now. Dustin, do you have a threat that's on the field on offense outside of Tank Dell? Is there another playmaker on this offense, do you think? You know, I think Matthew Golden can be that. I think Brandon Campbell can be that. Um, you know, with uh, Alton McCaskill, certainly if he were healthy, would be would be the answer to that question. We uh, need to see if Brandon Campbell's going to be healthy because he went out injured and apparently was getting x-rays uh, after the game here as well. Um, but, you know, kind of like Sam said, I, 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 and like you mentioned with uh, Holderson not being happy with the offensive line, I think there's a lot of questions to ask about this offensive line and uh, one that we thought, you know, had some experience, but at the same time, there's not a senior offensive lineman on this roster. And that is, I think, maybe rearing its ugly head more than we expected it to with some of the, you know, sophomores and juniors who had some experience coming back. You know, I think we were thinking that this, that was going to, you know, represent an offensive line that would be as good or better than it was last year. But it it does kind of feel like it's taken a step back. Um, A lot of the young, exciting receivers, the Matthew Goldens, the Joseph Manjax guys, who I think can be really playmakers in this offense, they have, have also they've made some exciting plays. You know, Joseph Manjack had you know ESPN number one play of the week in the other UTSA game. Matthew Golden's had a couple of really highlight play, uh, highlight real plays already two games in his college career. But we've seen this receiving group look inexperienced, have some easy drops. You know, there've been some some you know even some of the slow developing plays when Clayton Tune, even when he's got some time with his offensive line, has had has not really had open receivers uh, always to throw to. I think it's really concerning that you've got a senior quarterback in Clayton Toon. This is supposed to be his big senior season, has averaged less than seven yards per pass attempt in each of his first two uh, games of the season. You know, I think that's really concerning. And I think, honestly, you know, Sam talked about some of the play design here, but I, I think Dana Holgerson needs to take a long, you know, thought about the fact that he's got Shannon Dawson as his quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator. You know, this is a guy who his last job before he came to U of H was offensive coordinator at Southern Miss, a lesser program than U of H. And the fans there were not sad when he left. That's and you know, that's, that's, <laughs> fans don't always know what they're talking about. But you know, the last time we hired, uh, and you know, and again, Houston hired him as a tight ends coach. You go, okay, fine. If he's a tight ends coach, maybe this guy can recruit great. But then a year later, he gets promoted to offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and you go, okay, yeah, I understand Dana's largely running the offense here and everything. But you know, the last time U of H hired a football coordinator that the fans of the uh, previous school were just not sad to see him go was uh, this guy named Mark D'Onofrio, who uh, Major Applewhite hired as DC. And he, uh, we, we all tried to talk ourselves into him and then pretty quickly became obvious, no, this guy actually, there's a reason Miami fans weren't sad to see him go. They kind of did know what they were talking about. And, you know, if you're U of H, you got a senior quarterback, you've got, you know, an next year NFL receiver in Tank Dell, 
you know, you've got a lot of things going for you playing against a schedule where you have like one top 60 defense from last year on your schedule this year. And you haven't faced them yet. Cause it's Tulsa. Um, you got a lot of things going for you. If you're U of H, the fact that you're averaging under four yards per carry and under seven yards per pass attempt through your first two games should really, really be concerning. Cause it's, you're not going to have that senior quarterback next year. You're going to be facing a lot of, you know, jokes about big 12 defenses aside, they're gonna be a lot tougher than some of the ones that U of H has on the schedule this year. So I think despite having, you know, technically you can say you scored in the thirties, your first two games, but you know, definitely, I think there's a lot of questions here. And I think there are some playmakers to answer your original question for me. There are some playmakers here, but you know, if you don't have fixed some of the larger issues with the offense, then it's not gonna, it's not gonna be enough. I put in my, my show notes as the most deceptive 30 you will ever see from a college team. I don't want to like kick the team while they're down, but like, I'm still marveling. Like really like that, that produced 30 points because the offense was just so bad in Lubbock. You just, it's hard to fathom. Sorry, Robert. Yeah. Overtime helps. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Um, w- one of the things is you already mentioned it. The fact that U of H has such an easy schedule. It's frustrating when you get off to these and I, and I feel like this is a pattern and I'm going to ask you guys, Sam or Dustin, whichever one of you wants to jump in here. Is it fair to say that Holgerson's teams are having a habit of rough starts or, you know, they're struggling at the beginning of the season. Yeah. I mean, I mean, at this point, I guess you got kind of have to say it is a little bit of a trend. You had the, you know, a couple of years ago, the, the red shirt team that, that looked so uh, looked bad enough at the start that it kind of led Holgerson to do the whole great red shirt uh, experiment. You had U of H really just lay an egg against Texas tech at, at home when, when they had a real, you know chance to, you know, again, you won the next 11 games. So uh, you, you know, you, you're, you're showing up to that game away from uh, potentially being 12 and 0 and setting up the most exciting AAC championship game of all time against Cincinnati. It was still a pretty good one. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, 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 it I think it's a fair question to raise at this point, you know, not only the slow starts, but kind of just seeing the coming out of the season with just a lot of the, the self-inflicted errors. And, you know, Dana Holgerson can give all the fun quotes about, Oh yeah, let's, let's stop doing dumb crap. And okay. Yeah. That's, that's a fun quote. And that kind of lets, you know, the fan base know, Hey, you know, coach Holgerson sees the same things you're seeing. He's also frustrated by the mental errors. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's also worth noting that U of H is, is, you know, one play here or there away from being zero and two right now. And as much as one and one having played two good teams on the road, isn't the worst thing in the world. There's a lot of, a lot, a lot of teams in this uh, country uh, that if they played UTSA and Texas Tech on the road back to back to open the season, wouldn't be two and zero. Would be one and one at best. So if you just look at it from that perspective, sure, the first two games haven't been you know the worst thing in the world, and there certainly have been some really bright spots and some exciting things, uh, some good players. You know the way the defensive line is playing right now is just over the moon, incredible, and really really exciting. Things like that. Um, but like I said, with the offense really not getting going thus far, with U of H being yeah, they're really really close to being two and zero. They're also really really close to being zero and two. So. I think it is fair at this point to, uh, you know, to wonder if Dana Holgerson is going to be able to get his U of H teams, you know, off and, and ready to, uh, you know, get going right out of the gates as opposed to uh, kind of rounding into form. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, they've played Texas Tech a couple of times in, the, in recent years, and the Texas Techs are the teams that you're going to be playing on a regular basis in the Big 12. Exactly. And yep. hadn't got all that well. And, you know, this coming Saturday, hey, it's a Big, big 12 team that's no gimme. The Jayhawks, the Jayhawks aren't a joke. I hate saying that. I'm a, I couldn't even get out of my mouth. I'm a Mizzou guy, but the Cougs favored by ten, and I'm not so sure about that. And I've seen power rankings where it's kind of an even matchup. What do you think, Sam? I'd like to see how this team does at home. I, I would agree with what Dustin said. By the way, I think 
you know, this team has been very close to being 0-2. I, I don't think you can, uh, I don't think you can call this a strong start to the season, even if some individual parts I think have done quite well on this team. I would like to see how this team does in the friendly confines. There aren't many teams out there that have had to play two road games to start their season. So I, you know, I do think as bad as it's looked in these first two games, at least you're getting an accurate picture of what's wrong with your team. I mean, you could have gone out there and played, you know, an FCS team in Rice to start the year. You'd be 2-0, but you'd know precisely as much about U of H now as you did in the preseason. But I certainly am not spending my hard-earned American dollars on uh, U of H minus 10 so far. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I wasn't surprised that U of H was more than a few-point favorite, but I was certainly surprised it was as high as 9.5 to 10. This is really one of those situations, you know, if you told me the preseason that Kansas would start looking like the best part of it, you know, or the better, better than I would say most any team we've seen in the last 11 or 12 seasons there. I've been like, good. We finally, you know, got like a decent uh, non-conference opponent out of this team that I expected to just be a total cakewalk once we were sure this team was going to stay on the schedule. But right now I, I honestly would, uh, would, would be uh, much rather playing the uh, 2010 uh, through 2021 version uh, of Kansas football. I mean, we talked about how, UTSA and Texas Tech were designed to really stress this U of H defense. And while I think Kansas is a bit more run-oriented than those first two teams, and I think that might play in the Cougar hands a bit more, that's a good offense. They really started to figure things out in the second half of last season. All jokes about the burnt orange school in Austin aside, I watched a good amount of that game from last year on YouTube, and it wasn't fluky. You could see they had a clear idea how to use Jaden Daniels and they have a lot of uh, skill guys who really understand what that offense wants to do. And I think they could absolutely be a, you know, four to six win team, which for Kansas football in the last decade or so is darn near miraculous. And if it does come to fruition like that should have Lance Leipold in the coach of the year discussion. I do. Again, I want to see how this team plays in the friendly confines. I think it'll be a bit more clean at home, but a bit more clean doesn't guarantee an easy victory against this opponent who I'm sure they're going to play up to them. Hey, no one respects you guys. Even after that big win at West Virginia, you know, Houston still thinks you, you know, you guys are the Kansas of old. So I think there'll be no lack of motivation uh, from the visiting team. And uh, I would be over the moon if U of H uh, covers this game, just given what we've seen from the Jayhawks to the first two and given kind of the negative stuff we've seen from the Cougars in the first two. Yeah. You didn't say it, Sam, but 55 and 56 points, the first two games by the Jayhawks. Uh, yeah, the first game, that was a nobody's school. But West Virginia, not so much a nobody's school. And, and they ran up some some points on them. And and I just, you know, I, I want to see U of H correct the mistakes, the penalties, just the basic stuff. I don't care if the offense isn't perfect at this point. Guys, I just want to see mistakes that get corrected. After two weeks, this should not be a thing anymore. And I don't care if you're playing crummy schools after this in the, in conference you know, this is about judging what the Cougars are going to be next year and going forward, not this year. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if in you know, speaking about the Jayhawks, you look back heading to last year, their last five games this year and heading back to last year, their last five games are three and two wins over UT and West Virginia and one score losses to TCU and West Virginia at the end of last year. So, you know, the last team to beat them by uh, that, that 10 points that Houston played was was all their, you know, their, their fourth to last game when they, they got beat pretty badly by Kansas State at the end of last year. So um, this is not a team that you can just expect to uh, to just roll over by 10 points if you're making mental mistakes. And like you said, Robert, if uh, if UH doesn't cut down significantly on those mental mistakes that we saw in week one and week two, then 
you know, probably the best case scenario is that we're, you know, going to another overtime game and, uh, and hoping for the, you know, the bounce of the ball to go the right way uh, in overtime. Do you have somewhere where you're counting off your days till basketball season? Do you guys know the number as I'm talking to you guys right now on a Monday? I don't know the number. I am. I will, you know, once we get towards the end of October, uh, I'll start thinking more seriously about that. And that's not to say that I'm not uh, incredibly excited about Cougar basketball season getting going, but uh, you know, not giving up on this football team yet. I still feel like this Houston Cougar football team has a pretty good chance to uh, make a run at an AAC title this year. Um, and very excited about Cougar volleyball looking like a borderline top 25 team right now chance to uh, break the NCAA tournament curse first time since 2000. So definitely still locked in on the fall sports, but uh, you know, got maybe half an eye towards uh, basketball season. Yeah. I know it's roughly two months from now. And I would say any countdown on my part is, uh, is more out of just sheer excitement for that team rather than any kind of negativity uh, towards the football program. Though, though if the next month doesn't go so hot, uh, I might have a more clear idea of that number. If, we, if, we lose to, if, I, if I'm being honest. Okay, ask me a week from now if we lose to Kansas. I might, I might know how many days until basketball season <laughs> at that point. Might set an alert on my phone. Yeah, one of the things is, uh, you know, I, just, I heard it when Dustin said it. You know, I'm still thinking about the AAC title. And, and I guess the difference is when you're talking about Cougar football, you're talking about, Oh, the AAC title. And then when you're talking about Cougar basketball, you're like, hey, what about an NCAA title? How about one of those things? <laughs> That's the big difference. Exactly. Yeah. Different goals, I would say. <laughs> though, diff- though the s- different goals allowed by the sports postseason format uh, as well, though. Not obviously don't think uh, Cougar football would be a uh, top 12 team, even with the uh, upcoming format really as of right now. I tell you what, I, I had a guy named Corey Tulliba who does a really good NBA draft podcast with uh, Albert Gim. It's the Draft Doc podcast, and they had an hour on Jerace Walker, and basically it was just a big love fest. And one of them said he thinks that Walker is one of, well, not one of. He said he is the his he's third on his NBA draft board. So that kind of <laughs> took me aback with the other guys that are, that are out there. But uh, you know, he's they're excited about him and. You know, at, at the end of the show, they were they were saying, "Yeah, I need to get down to I want to get down to Houston and see this guy." And I'm like, "Wow, that's that's high praise because, uh, you know, we haven't had that in, 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 at University of Houston, and I, I don't know, maybe forty years, thirty five years, something like that." Yeah, I I think it was a CBS. I can't remember if it was CBS, ESPN, one of the big outlets. I was reading one of their way too early 2023 mock draft things uh, in the last month or so. And there were three Cougars on there in the top 40 picks. And there have been good players that come through this program. And I think it's a testament to Kelvin Sampson that he's consistently leveled up the talent of this program. You know, the first NCAA tournament team or two here didn't have a lot of serious NBA guys on it, but he was finding the kind of junkyard dog, junior college and D1 transfer guys who were going to go in there and outwork the opponents. And you kind of have seen it. You've seen the program's talent level kind of rise looking at the uh, the front court players, the big men, because, you know, those early Samson teams, you know, I love Rob Gray, Corey Davis, Armani Brooks, those guys, those, those guys, in my opinion, those are the founding fathers, Damian Dotson, like even further of this generation of this program, guys who I have just the most admiration for as players, but other than Dotson and Brooks, who are kind of, you know, fringy NBA guys, weren't really serious NBA prospects, but the guard talent's always been there. But now you have guys like, Jarris Walker coming through and Josh Carlton last year was first team all conference. I would say Josh Carlton's ceiling, obviously a bit lower than Jarris Walker, but Josh Carlton this past season gave you more consistently from a big man than you've ever seen under Kelvin Sampson. And now 
that guard talent, that guard ability is now matched with a, you know, true difference maker front court guy like Jairus Walker go along with Marcus Sasser, Jamal Shedd, and all the really, really exciting returning pieces uh, from this group. I'm blanking. What, who was the McDonald's All-American? There was the guy a few years ago. The tr- Quentin, Quentin Grimes. No, no. Before, I can't believe I, before I, I, him, I, there was, the, there was uh, I think he was from Alabama. Devontae Pollard. That's right. That's it. I can't believe I beat Dustin on that one. Dustin's the big entire Devontae time you were sitting here talking about all the guards, the Fanny Pollard's, I was like trying to come up with, I'm like, who's that? No, no, no. We had the transfer power forward. It was really good though. What was it? Yeah. Devontae Pollard was, uh, yeah, you know, and what a poll. Yeah. Well, impressed with him. Uh, you know, kind of wish he had gotten to be around and be on some better Cougar teams. Cause he was a, he was a good player, but, um, kind of like Sam said though, definitely different caliber of player entirely. Uh, when you're talking about bringing in someone like Jairus Walker, the number one high school power forward in the country, by the way, Quentin Grimes, he was a he was somebody that they had to take out of a Donovan Mitchell trade conversation for the day. They were like, we well, we're not so sure we want to trade Quentin Grimes for an all-star as part of an all-star guard package, the desperate New York Knicks. So that was pretty high praise for Quentin Grimes in that trade discussion. I was actually surprised they sent him out to Summer League here this year just because because he played such a big role last year. I thought he would get on the court some, but I would say he definitely played a larger role as a rookie than I expected. It certainly seems like that organization there considers him at least some part of the future. Yeah, I'm real interested to see how he's going to develop because, you know, without the Donovan Mitchell deal, he might be the starter this year. And that's going to be interesting to see. And just a lot of buzz about him uh, for a Knicks team that doesn't have a lot of buzz guys. So that that was kind of fun. Let me just close it off with, I want to get, um, what's going on with the podcast? Uh, tell me what's going on, Dustin. What, what what are you guys working on right now? Yeah, well, we're uh, we're squarely into football season now, which means we've gone to uh, two episodes a week. So we try to get uh, usually on like Saturday, Sunday. We're, we're actually we're about to record it here on Monday night. Do our our recap of the Texas Tech game, um, and then in a couple of days we'll have uh, you know the previewing the uh, the Kansas game. We got uh, some Kansas uh, folks that we're going to talk to. Make sure we have the full lowdown on the Jayhawks. Uh, and then obviously talk about all the other Cougar sports, because, of course, that's always our thing is covering every uh, Cougar sport in season. So be sure to give, uh, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, subscribe to the Scott Holman podcast. Like I said, lots and lots of content during football season. Um, we'll always have a full recap, full uh, full breakdown of every uh, game, as well as talking about some other sports. Like I said, Cougar volleyball doing real well right now. And before you know it, we'll be uh, previewing uh, Cougar men's and women's basketball. So very it's always the fall is always like jumping in with both feet you have the whole summer you know kind of trying to uh, struggle for content uh put something out every week and then all of a sudden you look up and it's like got multiple hours of uh, stuff to talk about every week so very excited uh to be uh, doing this podcast and and like i said uh, make sure to give us a follow on twitter at sh podcast s-h-p-a-w-d-c-a-s-t and uh, we're twitter degenerate so give us a follow over there and like I said, if you uh, if you like the Cougs, we got uh, Cougar content coming uh, fast and heavy right now. Yeah, and you said it. You, you you got somebody covering the other team this week, as you do pretty much every week during football season, which is great. And, and of course, go check them out on Twitter. Go follow them if you aren't already. We, you know about the podcast. We've had them on many times, but uh, hopefully uh, some more people out there are finding us and are finding you because, you know, it's a definitive thing. And the Cougars, you know, have been an, an incredible story in, in two sports the last a couple of years, definitely in basketball for the last few years, but in football now too. So with them going to the Big 12, you guys are in part of the Big 12 network, right, Sam? You guys are doing that now too. Yeah, no, and it's really exciting. We've, I, I'm not going to bore everyone too much with the podcast Inside Business, but trust me that we have seen 
a bump from the fact that this is a Big 12 program now. And that I think, obviously, we're, we're the kind of people who are excited about U of H playing anyone. You know, we, we became fans of this team when we were part of uh, something called Conference USA, something I hope to never have to think about uh, ever again. So we're the kind of sickos who were bought in generally, but it's very exciting to think about a future on our show where we're talking about, you know, Big 12, Big 12 men's basketball speaks for itself is just consistently the best league year in, year out in the sport and excited, even if the win loss tolls are going to be a bit more on the loss side in that league, just really excited to see that really excited to see an improved football product and just the buzz around playing, you know, the Baylors and Texas techs and TCUs and even Oklahoma state and probably for, for at least a brief period there, uh, a certain burnt orange school in Austin and a certain uh, crimson and cream school uh, just North of the border here. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm just excited for what that's going to do for UH exposure wise. And obviously excited to talk about those, those kind of matchups that, you know, get a bit more of the juice than playing East Carolina or South Florida with all respect to our pirate and bull friends out there. Looking forward to the Kansas game this week and the rest of the season in football. Always a blast having you guys on the show. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, thanks for having us, Robert. Always, uh, always enjoy talking to you. Yeah, thanks a bunch, Robert. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.